0: Welcome to Wind Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news in wine.
0: This week on Wind Up Weekly, US wine consumption falls for the first time in 25 years.
1: Italy and Australia continue their dispute over the Prosecco name.
0: EU alcohol imports banned in Indonesia.
1: New appellation in Burgundy, called Bourgogne Côte d'Or, released.
0: And as ever, our Wine of the Week. So before we dive into the news, a little bit about our week in wine. So our dinner table discussions has uh, been a lot about the wine industry and its future, mostly because the Silicon Valley Bank's 19th annual State of the Wine Industry Report was released, and most of the report was doom and gloom. The big issue, unsurprisingly, is the California grape glut, which we've discussed on the pod before due to mammoth harvests in 2018 and 2019 and compounded by slowing wine sales. But there is some good news, according to Rob McMillan, executive vice president and founder of Silicon Valley Bank's wine division, uh, who writes this report every year based on surveys sent out to wineries around the USA. And he says, if there's a silver lining in any of it, If we're going to provide these great values at lower price points, then maybe that'll help drive some future sales to a more interested young consumer. He predicts uh, we will see a lot more appellated wines at lower prices and therefore could invite more people to start drinking more premium wines from quality AVAs instead of generic designations.
1: And more on this um, later in the podcast as we discuss prices and consumption and uh, global trends as well. Um, all, pre- all pressing um, issues.
0: And on a more personal note, a new restaurant opened in Petaluma, our hometown, called Street Social.
1: And we went there on um, Thursday night Very um, intimate, small restaurant, and completely new. opened on 1st of January, so we were there just two weeks after its opening, and it was busy, and a really nice atmosphere, really nice design, and a very good menu as well.
0: So, Street Social is a husband and wife duo, mixologist Marjorie and chef Jevin, who have finally found a brick and mortar, lucky for us, right here in Petaluma, after years of building their business hosting private dinners on demand with dishes paired with cocktails. So Street Social was established in Los Angeles and since has built up quite a following throughout California since the couple moved up north to Sonoma County. And while they still host their spirited dinners on the side, much to Marjorie's dismay, the restaurant itself is not yet equipped to serve cocktails due to licensing restrictions, though they do serve wine and beer. This got our blood boiling, as we know how difficult and expensive it can be to secure liquor licenses, don't we, Matthew?
1: It's um, basically a kind of organized black market where they can uh, retail for $150,000 or up to $400,000, according to where you are, and they're all privately sold. Uh, you don't buy them from the state, you buy them from people who happen to own them all already. And It just sums up the ridiculous nature of the alcohol industry in California and across the states.
0: Well, nonetheless, it's a great idea, and we are looking forward to when Street Social gets to incorporate the cocktail food pairings at their restaurant, a fantastic way to get consumers to appreciate more spirits, liqueurs, and bitters, and get daring with their choice.
1: But in the meantime, we'll uh, pair the food with wine, and happily so.
0: Too right. And now, on with the news. (coughs)
1: For the first time in 25 years, wine consumption in the United States fell, the volume of sales decreasing by 0.9% in 2019, although figures showed mixed results in different categories. Sparkling wine actually increased by 4% in the US, however still wine fell by 1.5%, leading to the overall decline in wine sales. In other drinks categories, spirit showed strong growth, increasing by 2.3% in volume, with mezcal, tequila, Japanese, Irish, and US whiskies, and cognac particularly strong. Meanwhile, beer sales declined by 2.3%, mostly due to a drop in domestic beer sales. In contrast, sales of craft beer and imported beer rose. So, Katie, what do you think about these figures and, the Im- and what they tell us about the US wine industry?
0: Well, it's disturbing news, uh, kind of reflects what the Silicon Valley Bank reported with all the doom and gloom, especially with the prospect of 100% tariffs on EU wines still a real possibility. These figures also show that Americans are changing their drinking habits. More sparkling wine, more craft beer, and fashionable spirits such as mezcal and tequila. Perhaps indicating that the wine industry needs to up its game to ensure it doesn't lose its audience especially as there is a lot of innovation across the drinks industry. However, these figures record sales by volume, not by value. So we don't know if Americans are drinking less wine, but of a higher quality.
1: There's a lot of conversation within the wine business about um, innovation and keeping up with trends and keeping uh, consumers kind of occupied and interested. And in the US, there's a lot of innovations in other drinks categories like um, hard seltzer. Um, which is very popular at the moment. It may be a passing trend, but at the same time, it's drawing people away from drinks like wine.
0: So I wonder if this is a good use of the wine industry's resources is to compete against something like White Claw, which is sold in bars to consumers who probably wouldn't ever be interested in in drinking wine anyway. Um, And maybe they should refocus on getting people to trade up, spend more and drink more wine.
1: And the same goes for beer as well, interesting that um, domestic beer sales are falling, but craft beer sales are rising, so people are drinking better beer than they were previously, and I think that should be the focus of the the wine industry as well. And funnily enough, we've been watching Cheers this week, just kind of uh, revisiting an old favourite of mine, and the beer, and that's from the early 80s, and the beer they're drinking, and they drink lots of it, was probably absolutely terrible. And that's what the beer industry was for a long, long time. But now, people who drink beer are generally drinking a better and better beer than they used to. So there is a, a room, there is room for quality, and that people will be persuaded by it.
0: Well, people were probably willing to put up with the not-so-high-quality beer because everybody knew their name. Ever since the Italians made Prosecco a geographical region rather than a grape variety, Australians have complained, arguing that they too have the right to use the Prosecco term as it is named after the grape variety. But the Italian industry have always dismissed this argument, and Australian Prosecco cannot be imported into the EU. The dispute continues, The Australian government has awarded a 100,000 Australian dollar grant to researchers at Monash University to explore the legal basis for protecting wines using geographical indications. This research will be conducted while Australia and the EU continue to negotiate a trade deal, which began in June 2018. Italians are confident that the status of Prosecco as a protected designation of origin is legally sound and have dismissed the research before it's even begun. Exports of Australian Prosecco tally 60 million Australian dollars annually and are rapidly increasing as Glira, Prosecco, moved into the top 10 white varieties planted in Australia. Italian Prosecco exports are worth 1.8 billion euros and sales have increased by 242% since Prosecco became a DOC in 2010.
1: So those figures show just how important Prosecco is to Italy and the Italian wine industry and why they're so keen to protect the the name of the region and of the style of wine. And so they're very defensive of that. And we continually return to the topic of trade deals and tariffs, showing just how sensitive the protection of domestic industries in a global market is and geographical indications are integral to the EU trade model and not just for wine, and they are extremely successful in both protecting and promoting regional industries.
0: Likewise, one could argue that since Australia introduced GIs in the 1990s, in part to ensure access to the European market, they have also proved very successful as it enables the industry to promote the regionality of its wines in contrast to the reputation of homogeneous, high alcohol, inexpensive wines. But the way that the Italian authorities created the Prosecco DOC certainly makes us a particularly sensitive subject.
1: Yes, and Prosecco is an historic style in Italy, um, but it's only relatively recently that it's become very successful. And then in Australia, it's only the late 1990s that Glara the great varieties it's now called was exported into Australia so quite a new thing there but they're still very protective of the fact that they make this wine that it tastes the same as Prosecco in Italy and that there's no reason legally for it to be disallowed and so they're gonna continue protesting their right to use it and when we were in Australia we tasted Prosecco and it's perfectly delightful just as uh, Prosecco itself is <coughs> And more news on trade disputes, this time between, once again, the EU and Indonesia. And, once again, wine and other drinks are paying the price for a completely separate dispute. In March 2019, the EU declared that palm oil cannot be considered a sustainable or renewable resource as it causes deforestation. Consequently, the EU will be phasing out palm oil as fuel for transport between 2023 and 2030. This is bad news for Indonesia, which is one of the world's leading producers of palm oil, exports of which to the EU are worth 400 million euros. Now, Indonesia have responded by effectively banning imports of EU alcohol products into the country by refusing to issue import licences given that Indonesia is a Muslim country with a heavily regulated drinks industry, it would seem that the ban on palm oil will hurt Indonesia more than the ban on alcohol will hurt the EU. Well,
0: as ever, it's always tit for tat with these things. Uh, one country instills some sort of tariffs and others, re- and the other retaliates. Um, but in this case, I find that, you know, the EU is trying to be more green and in this era of climate change, I would hope that more of us could have a more global uh, outlook and support for these sorts of changes. They're necessary.
1: Definitely necessary. The problem is that in the short term, at least, they do have, they can have a negative impact on economies that have been based around these industries. And so Indonesia wants to protect um, its industry, which is, which supports the economy. And so they are reacting, but um, we'll see how that develops in the future.
0: Another appellation in Burgundy may seem to add more unnecessary confusion, but Bourgogne Côte d'Or AOC is designed to clarify the regional identity of wines that come from across Côte de Nuit and Côte d'Avon. The appellation was approved in 2017, and the first wines labeled Bourgogne Côte d'Or are coming out into the market. It was introduced because previously wines that came from outside the Côte d'Or's famous villages were simply labeled Bourgogne Blanc or Rouge without any indication where the grapes came from, other than somewhere in Burgundy. Producers were making wines from one of the world's most famous wine regions, yet were unable to indicate precisely where they came from. The new Appalachian is designed to offer clarity and enable producers to promote their wines and associate them with the prestige of the Cote d'Or. The new releases are around 2 thirds white and one third red with around 300 hectares of plantings using the appellation. Although there is the potential for 1,000 hectares of plantings to be used in the future. So change has always been slow in Burgundy. And so is this a welcome development? I wonder if it'll offer more clarity to consumers or more confusion and label clutter. As we all know, the Burgundy labels are already difficult to decipher.
1: Yes, it may um, require more education for consumers and also people in the industry to understand yet another new appellation because there are so many in Burgundy and there are so many names. However, this one, I think, is quite clear because Cote d'Or is such a famous name and Bourgogne Cote d'Or. The, those two terms together, I think are recognizable to most consumers. And I think knowing that the wine comes from Cote d'Or will um, appeal to consumers. They'll know exactly where it's from, they'll recognize the name, the region, and they'll associate it with quality. So this is one change that I think makes sense.
0: And what about the price point? Do we know how much more these wines are going to cost in the market as Appellation Cote d'Or versus uh, generic Bourgogne Appellation?
1: I think... Um, they'll probably be priced higher, but it may be that these wines were already priced higher within the Bourgogne Blanc or Bourgogne Rouge appellation, it's just that they couldn't specify where they were from, so the consumers might be like, why is this wine, you know, $10 more than the other Bourgogne Blanc or Bourgogne Rouge, so now there's kind of more of a justification for any higher prices, because uh, Cote d'Or is going to be linked to the wine. <coughs>
0: And now for our wine of the week, which is Matthew.
1: It's a wine by Mathieu Barret, Le Petit Or, and it's a Syrah from 2017. And there is an unwritten rule that if a wine label is terrible, then the wine must be good. And Le Petit Or is the perfect example. For those of you who have never seen the label, it's plain black with a simple silver outline of a teddy bear. It's incredibly kitsch. On top of that, the capsule and cork are plastic, which we cannot approve of with another drawing of the bear on the cork. And both of us have worked with this wine for several years and has never failed to attract attention, customers stopping in their tracks as soon as they see it. Because the label is so, so bad, their initial reaction is to dismiss it. But it's such a talking point that they end up buying it and most often coming back for more.
0: So what's the story behind the label? Mathieu Barrett is a winemaker in the Northern Rhone and has an extremely good reputation. He's also a big man, and his nickname is Le Petit Eau, or the Little Bear. This is his introductory wine, and I can only imagine that he thought of it as a throwaway wine and gave little thought to the design. But as we said, it's always been extremely popular. It's 100% Syrah from Visan in Northern Rhone, selected from younger vines for a fruitier expression.
1: And this might be the best vintage of Le Petit Or that I've tried because in the past i found it a little too jammy. So it's always been a fun wine, always enjoyed it, and always enjoyed talking about it and selling it because of this really terrible label but the fact that it's actually a pretty good wine but at the same time um, found it's a little too fruity but this vintage the 2017 is tighter and it's got more grip to it and it's still got that ripe fruitiness to it so it's still very enjoyable it's a bit more structure to it.
0: I thought it had more of that meatiness that you really get from Syrahs and and the Rhone the northern Rhone, particularly
1: yeah it felt especially classical and it's young and very approachable with a serious edge to it so a lot of fun and a great food pairing too so it's quite a serious wine despite this really kitsch teddy bear label
0: yeah we had it with a steak and it was delightful
1: that was a perfect pairing. Really enjoyed it. A couple of days later, we had a friend round and uh, we had a little bit left over. And I put this bottle on the table in front of her. And she was in the middle of a conversation. And she um, immediately just, just stopped in, in her tracks and said, what is that? What is that label? And it is that kind of wine that is so bad that it just draws you in and you can't help talking about it. And the juice in the bottle uh, stands up to the uh, scrutiny.
0: Cheers to that. So thank you for listening I'm Katie Canfield I'm Matthew Go join us next week for another wind up
1: cheerio